So it feels like a lifetime ago that I was a mechanic. And I was spinning wrenches in dealerships uh, long before Jesus. And so for, for a lot of years too, probably for a dozen, 15 years, I was, I was a mechanic. I was okay. I wasn't all that great, but I wasn't all that bad. I wasn't a hack, as they call it, in mechanic world. Now, when you work in certain jobs, there are certain environments that take place within said jobs. Within these environments, they have sometimes in certain professions their own colorful language. And they all kind of seem to use this colorful language in, in, in certain professions. You don't hear such colors, say, in the, profession, in the medical profession. But yet when you're a mechanic, there's color in the words that's used. And as, as I found in this world of mechanicness, you, you poke fun at people. And there's prevailing attitudes in this fun poking. And there's jokes that you tell, certain colorful jokes that decorum prohibits me from telling you now. But this is kind of the world that I, that I was part of for, for many, many years, like, like well over 25 years ago. Now, as a mechanic... I was very much so a contributor to this colorful environment. I had my own colorful words and jokes. Now, working for dealerships, sometimes, you know, mechanics come and go, and, you know, they're always looking for the better job or the more money or better vacation or better working conditions. You know, the grass always seems greener on the other side, but it's not necessarily greener. And so, not revolving door, but, you know, people, people come and go. And at my last job as a mechanic, I met this guy. This guy came to work at the place I was working. His name is Earl. Now, Earl, he was a Christian. And he wasn't afraid to tell people. He wasn't afraid of people finding out about it. And he wasn't, he wasn't self-righteous about it. He just is who he is, and he just didn't care what people thought. And, and I felt it since I was a upholder of said colorful environment of mechanic world, I felt it my responsibility to at times poke fun at this Christian Earl. Which is probably saying that in a rated G fashion. Now, some of the things I used to poke fun at him for was he never used colorful language. We'd always try to get him to use colorful language, but Earl wouldn't use the colorful language. And so there were times where I would poke a little fun at him. I mean, how can a mechanic be so dull, so black and white without color? And he never took part in the colorful jokes that seemed to get thrown around. And Earl, he would, he would wait for everyone first to wash their hands at break, and then he would wash his hands. And he was never late coming back from break. Like 15 minutes, we were all like 18, 20, 30. Earl took his 15 minutes, and he went right back to work. He never really complained I mean, he wasn't always happy that he was getting certain jobs, but mechanics like to complain about jobs that they're getting, like, really got to do this again. This is not going to pay me. 
he never talked about anyone badly or never talked behind people's backs. In fact, he would leave the conversation if that started to take place. Every once in a while, we should catch him reading his Bible down in the corner of the shop. He was like a, he was like a mechanical Christian goody two-shoes. That's the way I would describe him. Now, if you can imagine a mechanical Christian goody two-shoes and then think, what would the exact opposite of that be? That would have been me. And so you had Earl and you had me. Now, one thing led to another and Earl led me to Jesus. And on my 30th birthday, I went to his church and I came forward and he anointed my forehead with oil and people prayed over me and it started this whole journey with Christ. And what is funny because up for like two years, I did everything to try to aggravate this man and we ended up becoming friends. We would pray together at lunch, study the Bible together. He would help baptize me a few months later. And as I grew in my faith, I was very young in my faith, as I grew, it became apparent to me that Earl wasn't necessarily a mechanical goody two-shoes Christian. Earl was just living his faith. He was just living the things that he believed. And it took me a while to understand that. But he was living his faith. In spite of his environment, in spite of me. Well, time went on and Earl left that position and I left that position and, and I, haven't, uh, I haven't spoken to him in a while. We just reconnected on Facebook. And I do believe that he was there for a season and it was a season of harvest. And I was that harvest in that season. Now, maybe you're asking, well, okay, that's a really good story, but what does that have to do with the price of apples in February? And it has everything to do with the price of apples in February because this is where the writer of the letter of Hebrews, remember, he is, he is encouraging the church. He's telling the church that it matters how we live our lives. The things that we do, it matters. And so he begins to share that. In verse 7 of chapter 13, he says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. See, to remember this guy Earl in my life is, is almost commanded by the scripture. Because when I remember him, when I think back of those times that we spent together, when I think back about his life, it calls me to then remember the, the, the rhythms that I'm called to live in. It calls me to go, I, I remember he used to do this. And so I then remind myself that it matters the way I live. See, I saw the difference in Earl before Christ ever came into my life. I noticed there was something, you know, that classic cliche, there's something different about him. Now, I wasn't like, oh, I really want what you have. No, I, I didn't want any of it. But there was something different about this guy, and I was, I was gung-ho. I was going to break him. I was going to get that man to swear. I mean, colorful language. That's, yeah, not, not swear. I wouldn't do that. And as I think back, 
I'm reminded of those early days of faith when it just seems so easy. And see, I remember this guy, Earl, this man of faith who walked in the way of Jesus. I know that now. I didn't quite understand that then. And you know, I believe that in our lives, we all have our Earls. We all have that person who has mentored us, who has came alongside us, who has spoken into our lives, who has built us up when the world was knocking us down, who, who has mentored us. We all have that person who has led us to Jesus. And see, and when we forget those people, we forget our roots. We forget that life really does matter. At least we're in danger of forgetting those things. But when a church, and I mean church, I mean all of us, when we as people, when we begin to remember those godly leaders, those godly people in our lives, we remember the, the how's he word it, the, the outcome of their way of life, that we would imitate their faith. It strengthens our own walk. It strengthens our own spiritual journey. And yet, within all of that, within, within that whole experience I had with, with Earl, we always have to remember that we're all just human. We all make mistakes. We all oops. We can hurt people unknowingly or knowingly. We're all human. And this is why the writer kind of presses in with this next line. He says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Like I said, I haven't spoken to Earl couple messages on Facebook in a really long time. And maybe you haven't spoken to that person in a long time, or maybe that person for you is gone and, and to, to be with the Lord, and you don't get to communicate with them anymore. But we have Jesus. Yes. We have Jesus. Amen. He is ever-present. He is ever-listening. He is the same yesterday. He is the same today. And he is the same forever. And that's such a contrast to humanity. It's such a contrast to, to people in general because as people, we are always changing. We're always evolving. Personalities are constantly changing. The person I was 20 years ago is not the same person who stands before you today. Thank God. And I pray that the person I am 20 years from now, God willing, that I will be gentler and I will be wiser and I will be more patient. I will be more godly. I mean, that's, that's what I desire anyway. And so we're constantly changing as people. People grow in a positive direction or people can grow in a negative direction where they, they allow bitterness and hurt and anger to prevail in their lives. From the moment we are born, we're in this constant place of change. I once had hair. <laughs> it was nice hair. Curly. The wind used to blow in it, I remember. <sighs> and someday I hope that I have more wrinkles 
and I have more gray in my beard and mustache, and I walk a little slower, not because I'm physically tired, but because there's just more patience in my heart. But we're all in this place of change. The only thing that doesn't change is the fact that change takes place. We all will change. And here is the joyful truth of the scripture. God doesn't and will never change. Jesus doesn't and will never change. The Holy Spirit does not and will never change. The God that's in the beginning of this scripture is the same God at the end of the scripture. He does not change. He doesn't change in his anger, his wrath, his love, his compassion, his mercy, his grace. Nothing changes. Jesus, he, he lived this certain way on the earth And we see this in the Gospels. And he is the same person seated now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the same yesterday. He's the same today. And he's the same. He will be the same forever going forward. And look at the way the writer kind of reflects this in, in Hebrews. Jesus is the same yesterday. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who can save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus is the same today, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet did not sin. He's the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he's the same forever. Therefore, This Jesus, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Do you understand that right now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and he is praying for you by name, by situation, by your desire, by your brokenness, by your light that's in you. Jesus is praying for you this very moment. He lives to intercede for us. He is the same yesterday. He is the same today, and he will be the same forever. And as the writer continues, he says this, don't be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals to the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Lots going on. Lots going on in these verses. Let's start by 9 and 10. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which have no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. Remember last week we talked about this idea of um, this, this teaching, extra teaching of marriage, and it said that if you're married, then you're settling for less. You're settling for less of a spirituality. You're less than a Christian, which is a false teaching because the writer said, honor marriage. Everyone should honor marriage. And now what he is kind of 
pointing to is there seems to be this strange teaching on food taking place. Some people thought, or some people began to teach, that if you maintained a special diet with special food, you would be holier. You would be more Christian. You would be more spiritual. And what they began to do was impart their own rules on top of Jesus. And when we begin to add human rules to Jesus, we begin to neglect the grace of God that's given to us through Jesus. When we begin to put our own criteria of Christianity, lump that on top of Jesus, whether it be some funky teaching, whether it be food, whether it be all the shoulds and should nots that we believe that people should live, when we add those things to Jesus, we neglect God's grace. And the author says, it's better that we are strengthened by grace because that's the only thing that can really strengthen us. Ceremonial foods do nothing. See, here's the thing about grace. It rolls downhill. And what I mean by that is those, and the scripture teaches this through, throughout, those who are low, lowly, those who are humble in their heart receive the grace of God like a, like a, a rushing wind, like a mighty river. Proverbs 3 says that, that God mocks he mocks the proud, but he shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. James talks about that too um, in, in chapter four of his letter. There's something about grace that is attracted by humility and, and um, pridelessness and the lack of arrogance. See, those who are full of themselves, those who, those who think, look at, look at me, look at the way I'm living Okay, I got this set of rules that I follow every day. And you know what? You would do better if you just followed my set of rules because I got this thing figured out. See, that is the heart of arrogance. And if somebody is lumping onto someone else what they think Jesus is all about, and it goes beyond what the scripture teaches, that's the heart of a Pharisee. And, it, and, it, and, and grace just doesn't penetrate that heart. It rolls around like it rolls off, like, a, like water off the back of a duck. And grace, this gift that we've been given, this strengthening that we've been given, comes from this tabernacle, which is the body of Christ, the cross of Christ, the heart of Christ. See, food Lobster and steak, mm, chicken nuggets, soup. None of it has any spiritual value. Now, don't get me wrong. I've had some meals that were almost a religious experience. You know what I'm talking about? One of them things. But, but as far as spiritual nutrition, food, it's, it, 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 there's nothing to it. Rules don't make us more spiritual. Grace and understanding grace is what brings life. Our spiritual nourishment comes from the life and death of Jesus Christ and him only. And we can't overlook this. Jesus is the same yesterday. He's the same today. 
And he is the same forever. And we're not called to get mixed up in all these strange add-on teachings that people want to institute to make themselves look holier than thou. It's a dangerous trap. And it's happened throughout the centuries. It's Christ and Christ alone. That's it. It's not Jesus and lobster. It's not Jesus and whatever else you want to add to him. I I guess the Jews wouldn't eat lobster because it's an unclean. But let's just say... Whatever, you know what I mean. So it's not Jesus and your good works. It's not Jesus and your good behavior. It's Jesus, and that's it. It's just Jesus. Faith and faith in him and him alone. Now the writer is going to call to mind for this Jewish congregation something that they would understand. He says in verse 11, The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. On the Day of Atonement, when uh, the high priest was only allowed to go into the Holy of Holies, he would sacrifice a bull for his own sin, and he would sacrifice the goat, a goat, for the sin of the people. And this blood would be carried into the Holy of Holies and it would be um, sprinkled where it needed to be sprinkled. But the bodies, the carcasses of these animals were carried outside of the city and there they were burned. And you can find that in Leviticus chapter 16. Now in regards to Jesus, he was sacrificed the one and only permanent sacrifice. The We don't need to sacrifice anything anymore sacrifice. The the lamb without blemish sacrifice, he was taken outside of the city, outside of the walls, and sacrificed for the sin of the world. The ultimate, one and done sacrifice, Christ, Christ alone. And so those who hold on to the the ancient Jewish tradition, the ancient Jewish sacrificial system of atonement, they'll never experience the freedom that comes, the forgiveness that comes with the sacrifice of Jesus. And see what else is happening, what else the writer is getting to, this detail of Jesus being sacrificed outside of the camp, it's evidence that it was made. He gave his life for everyone. It doesn't matter ethnicity, skin color, Language. It doesn't even matter what sin you have in your life. The sacrifice was made for all people. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The world, the entire world. And all we have to do, all anyone has to do is call on the name of Jesus and be forgiven. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He continues on, he says, let us then go outside to him, outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. The invitation is to go out to Jesus, outside the camp, outside of religiosity, outside of trying and striving, outside of our own 
self-proclaimed righteousness outside of all the man-made stuff go out to Jesus where we can bear his disgrace, the disgrace that he suffered for us because he loves us. He went to the cross. He died that horrific death because he wants us to be forgiven. He wants us reconciled back to the Father. Do you see how it's Christ and Christ alone that is our spiritual source of nourishment? We can nourish ourselves on nothing else but Christ and Christ alone. And he is outside of the camp. He is accessible to all. He is accessible to all for all time. This is Christ. This is Jesus. The writer is encouraging this church to remember it's important the way we live. It matters the way we live. He continues on. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Do not forget to do good, and to share with others for such sacrifices God is pleased. Worship should be a priority in every Jesus follower's life. And this goes beyond Sunday morning song. Worship is a condition of our heart. And it should be the priority of every follower of Jesus. There's a story in Luke chapter 10. And the story is about two sisters, Martha and Mary. And Jesus stops by their house. Now, you can imagine Jesus coming by your house um, unannounced. Maybe you don't keep your house company clean, so you're a little freaked out. And you're trying to, you know, get things together. And that's Martha. She's kind of running around. She's getting food ready. She's trying to, you know, sweep up and, and make sure everything is perfect. Jesus has come to her house. And he's like chilling out and he's hanging out with, with the boys. And, and, you know, they're talking. And I can imagine, you know, Jesus wasn't always just, he was, he was a man. And so he was taking part in just being at someone's house. And it says that Martha's running around, but Mary, the sister, what is she doing? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus, just looking, listening. Like all of the commotion that's swirling around, Martha's running around, she's even complaining. Mary chooses to sit at the feet of Jesus. There's something in her spirit that grew to a place of just wanting to sit there and worship and listen and hear. There was a woman when Jesus was dining at Simon the leper. Can you imagine having that name? Hey, Simon the leper. <laughs> um, and, and so this woman comes in and, and she, she breaks open this jar of expensive perfume and she pours it on Jesus' head. And all of everybody, the eyes start to roll and the murmuring starts. You know, we could have sold that and get a lot of money for the poor. And Jesus is like, shut up. What she has done to me is beautiful. This act of sacrificial worship. Worship that cost something. The writer tells us, let, let, let our sacrifice of praise, let this thing that's welling up in our heart, let us proclaim it with our lips. Let it be part of who we are. Let the, let the words of our heart be expressed by our mouths. And yet, that expression needs to go beyond just words. 
We have to balance the life of Martha with the life of Mary. Because it matters how we live our life. Do not forget to do good and to share with others for such sacrifice God is pleased with. There has to be a balance. A major part of our lifestyle of worship is giving of ourselves in service to other people. Not just within the church, but outside of the church. Our worship should really cost us something. It shouldn't be just what's left over, convenient, or easy, or off the top. It should cost us something. This is the worship that pleases God. This is the worship that can't be manufactured, but it has to come from the transformation of the Holy Spirit in a person's heart. Don't forget to do good. Our heart of worship manifests itself in the way we live in relationships with other people. It says in Romans chapter 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship, that we would give of ourselves. This is holy and pleasing, and it's an act of worship. And then in 1 John, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. As the writer ends this letter to Hebrews, he's calling the church to remember who they are, that they've been saved with a price, by a price, and that it matters the way that, if the church is going to survive, if the church is going to thrive, it really does matter how we live our lives. Not in some angry obedience because we think we're going to end up in hell, but out of the love and grace and mercy that God is, is, is just poured out upon us, that we would be instruments of that to others. It matters how we live. It matters the things we take part in. Father, I pray that you would strengthen your church to live in the beautiful harmony that you have presented before us through your word. May we be known by the lives we have lived. May we be known within our community, within other communities, and outside of these walls. May we always be a church of grace. Always be a church that loves. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 I love you guys. If you are willing to give to Dixon, please do so. And I will see you next week.